0: Welcome to Stop, Back, and Roll, a podcast about prepping a thousand NPCs and four dungeons only to throw all but one of them away. I'm James.
1: And I'm Brandon. Today we're going to be talking about how each of us individually preps games and how game design can inform game prep. Hey, welcome to our Gen Con spectacular we are here yeah. live in Connecticut. Jen wouldn't. Jen can't. No, I could
0: have. I just didn't want to. Oh, yeah, I Jen couldn't. You, you Jen couldn't. Yeah. Everything, I've said this elsewhere, but everyone who I've talked to about Jen Con has basically said, oh, I love Jen Con. I go, there, like, I go there to see my friends, mm-hmm. and it all sounds like they're doing it in spite of the actual convention. <laughs> like, maybe if we could all just go together somewhere else... It'd be cheaper. And hang out. It would be cheaper and more fun, or at least just as fun. uh And so. And if
1: we went to Nebraska, we could get Runzas. So yeah. those are delicious. Look into them. <laughs> That's your homework, Stop um, Back and Roll fans. Instead okay. of doing a game jam, Google Runzas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We're going a little off book. The, the link will be in the show notes. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, so I think that let's just get Stop chop this. and roll some um, runs. Um, so I think we are. I mean that that sort of just weirdly transition nicely <laughs> into our topic, which is that we are going to we're going to talk about something that isn't ex- explicitly game designy,
1: but I think is related to it in a way that I think is interesting. I had a second that I forgot what the what the topic was going to be, and I was like, what are we going to talk about then? <laughs>
0: Um, and because I think that the, the way that you and I both prep, I think the way that, I think, here's the thing that I'm going to say. I think that the way that people prep games defines and informs how they write them. And, and that I think that thinking about the ways that other people prep games can make you think about ways to design your game so that it can be run by someone who isn't
1: you. I absolutely agree. This is actually really fortuitous timing because I... Literally last week, wrote the section in Pasión de las Pasiones on how to use playsets, which is a game design plus prep combination moment. So, yeah. 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 I didn't think of that when we talked about this topic, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is sort of just a, a if you, what you should take
0: from this is, this is a sly excuse to talk about a thing we've been trying to do for a little while and never really had a good moment, and this seems like the right yeah, moment. Yeah, we're here at Gen Con. You know, it's the time. <laughs> if not now, then when. <laughs> um so <laughs> let's actually say what we're going to talk okay. about We oh he said we, game did, prep. we did game prep game prep we prepped um so a thing that is interesting that and we're gonna and we're gonna figure out because i actually have not seen the way that you prep games recently um and the thing that i think is very interesting is that over the course of the last maybe two to three years um specifically with running and playing around protean city You and I, I think, have switched uh, the way that we prep a lot in that you used to be a very, uh, I jokingly used to say you would come into a session with a list of names type GM, and I think that you now do more prep.
1: Yeah. I I mean, you say that jokingly, but there were a lot of games we played that I came in with a list of names. When we played Dogs in the Vineyard, I came in with a list of names. When we played Urban Shadows, I came in with a list of names. Uh, even when we played masks, the first couple times, like off camera, off mm. mic, uh,
0: <laughs> the cameras were still on.
1: Cameras were still on, but no audio. Yeah, uh, if you'd like those, those are on YouTube channel. James will put a link in the show notes. They're not. They're uh, not. <laughs>
0: um, and I used to prep a lot more, like o- almost overbearingly so. And I have become—I'm not going to say a a no-prep gamer or a GM because I definitely prep. But I go in. I'm I go in with a lot less than I used to. Yeah, we've both kind of shifted to the middle, I think. Hmm. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a period where we had totally switched positions, and now we're
1: both, I think, hitting more middle ground. I don't know. I I never think I hit the like over prep. Uh, it, the last time I over prepped, like we were going to college. And I was trying to run that game that we were going to have a simultaneous. Oh, you weren't involved in that because we didn't know you. I then. wasn't involved in that. Yeah. Like when I was going into college, I was going to run like a and d campaign that you were also playing a separate set of characters that were nobles. That was all going to be done on forums. And I overprepped that. But maybe that wasn't,
0: I was involved in something like that. That may have been may post-college have been
1: actually then. My timeline is probably just wrong. You were involved, Um, but I I overprepped that. And that's like the only time in my entire life that I've ever overprepped for running a game.
0: (laughs) Okay. So why don't we talk about, um, why don't we talk about how you prep first? If you're ready to do.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it depends. All right. Your section. (laughs) I mean, I can go. No, I'm just kidding. Don't taunt me like that. (laughs) Yeah. What if we actually did release it that way? Um, so it really depends what it is I'm trying to do, because I think the form Mm -hmm. that we use for, uh, prep informs how the game is going to play in big ways. It informs what the final product is going to be like. And I write games and do games for a variety of different products, right? Mm -hmm. So like if we're getting together with our friends to do a one shot of a PBTA game, then I'm gonna be honest. I use the list of names because most PBTA games are kind of designed to do that. So if like we're going in to play to play like some Urban Shadows, Urban Shadows is a great example. Uh, second edition coming out Kickstarter 2020. Excited for that. But uh, like y- if you go in with plans for your session zero, you're kind of like screwing over your players and losing some of the experience of that game. And the same is true for like. For a lot of the PBTA games, for Apocalypse World itself, for Monster Hearts, for uh, Epilion. Uh, Masks less so, I think it helps to come in with like a tiny bit of prep, like a single villain to fight. Uh, but apart from that, like the players are providing almost everything. So if I'm in a game that is a player-story-driven game, then I'm coming in with a list of names. Mm-hmm. If even. Uh, okay. So that's my old style, right? And that's really like when I'm in casual mode. For actual play, I do it a little differently because I get really focused on the structure of the shape of the game. So like it isn't okay in in an actual play to have a big climactic moment at minute 15 of your adventure and then (laughs) like two and a half hours in and that's it, right? Like that makes for bad actual play. And it makes it hard to structure like the the episodes themselves, because you want each episode to have interesting things. So I give a little bit more planning and structure into those. And then the third situation is structuring an adventure that I'm not going to run because someone else is going to run it. And that's like my playsets in Pasión de las Pasiones, or some of the work I've been doing into Radcrawl that is like essentially writing modules. Mm. Which with those like and th- like it kind of goes in that order of how much prep is involved in it. Yeah. Uh but may- maybe with play sets being kind of in my standard sort of area of how much I prep. So what do you want to talk about of those? The names are kind of obvious, I guess. Um
0: Yeah. I kinda wanna sit I wanna think about so um Hmm. I'm trying to think about where we should go. Because I have some rough ideas about, I I, like, I don't break up my game prep in that way. Okay. And so I don't know if it's helpful to start talking about the way that I prep now and then like give you the overview of how I do it and come back to the way that you prep and talk about yours specifically, or just talk about you specifically now and then switch to the way that I, I prep later. I'm not
1: sure which would be better listening.
0: Do you have an instant? So let on me those? let me let me do this. Let's say this. So it sounds like um it sounds like that the most uh the, the thing that shifts for you yeah. when depending on how much you're prepping is that when you are prepping for a game that requires more story or or the not, not the like sort of light like popcorn y type game or not like popcorn y, but like the lighter kind of like just one off thing. Um Versus like and then sliding on along that scale towards like actual play and then games that other people are gonna play for like play and you're not gonna run yeah um, that you're the thing that you're prepping differently is you're spending more time thinking about pacing and story structure.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely
0: and that's interesting because that is not exactly what I shift a little bit um, I my prep tends to be I mean we'll get into it m- more in detail later on but my prep focuses more on NPCs okay. and information. I, even when I'm heavily prepping, I still don't think about story structure nearly as much, even when I'm running for Protean City.
1: That's, that's really interesting because I look for, I look for NPCs, but not information. Hmm. Uh, and so, and I think that also informs how you and I play games. like, I yeah. structure with NPCs and some motivation behind them as well as like mm. kind of the shape of what the adventure is going to look like in terms of like climactic moments to pull in uh but not like any information for them to have. So let's let's do yeah. this. I want
0: to let's focus on not exactly the the rad crawl style um prep for someone else to run. Yeah, that's like more but module. Like, what design. is like when you when you were talking about your like sort of like when you're sitting down to really prep a game, like a game that you're taking seriously that needs a little bit of prep, what does that look like? Where do you start, I guess?
1: So where I start is basically going, what is the hook of this game? And so Mm -hmm. for, uh, so basically like the two games that I think most fall into that style are when I'm writing a play set for Pasión de los Pasiones or when I'm running an actual play episode of really anything but what I do most often is masks. So there's kind of setting up the general conceit of the story. Like if I'm, should we prep a, a masks game right now? Is that would that make sense? Is that helpful I mean we could or not we really could. helpful.
0: Um, I think I think that probably the way that you do it and I do it is so different that it might not be super helpful. Okay, then let's not we do could, that. We could, um, but let's let's table that, and then if we need more content at the end of this episode, then, we can come back around. Right. Because I think that, that would be interesting to
1: sort of see. Okay, cool. So, um, basically I start out with saying, what is the overall story point, right? Like, sometimes mm-hmm. I have a really clear idea because we're trying to do something for the actual play. Like, we had a recent episode where we were saying, this character needs to end up on Earth. And so we knew that that's kind of the goal of it. So everything had to center around that. And then it was slotting in pieces to make that happen. But more or less, I'm looking at what kind of story it is. Like, is this a story of we fight a bad guy and then there are repercussions? Is this a story of you are trying to track somebody down? Is this a story of big prolonged fight? And basically get that as like a basic description of what's going to happen. From there... I start doing NPCs, and that is the biggest thing. Uh, for NPCs. I use the structure from masks for pretty much everything, uh, even if I were to like <laughs> run some D and D, I'd use it's largely a good the same thing structure.: It is It's a really and good structure. Sh- and we
0: should say the way that, that you structure building NPCs and masks is that you come up with like the sort of like the flavory stuff, like what do they look like? What do they call themselves? Do they have a secret name, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And then you write down what their drive is, yep. what they're, what they're like, what is the thing that drives them forward, and, and it should be a, a like tangible thing. yeah, I, I often actually sometimes have two drives for my my hero or my villains okay. and NPCs, a sort of like big picture drive of like, what is the thing that as a as like a human or whatever they are, what drives them? yeah, and then like short term for this adventure that I'm running what is the thing that drives them? Yes. I do that a little bit more for like, if I have, if I have a villain or an NPC in a, in a campaign I'm running, mm-hmm. it might be like their drive might be protect the city at any cost. And yes. then their, but their drive for like this session might be protect my
1: daughter at any cost. Yeah. And I get really specific with it. Like I, yeah. I do have, t- I tend to give them like a, I think of it as like a motivation and a drive. Like, your motivation is, why are they doing this thing? The drive is, this is the thing. In my, in the same way that I talk all the time about, like, drive your NPCs like stolen cars, this is what yeah. they're driving towards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you have a series of moves, which are just, like, sentence sentences in bold text, mm-hmm. in, at least in my head and, and in my prep, that are, like, what is the thing? It's not like a, like, a, when you do this, roll X, because as the GM, you're not rolling in masks. Yeah. Um, and if you're playing D and D, then you're not. Then it, just, it doesn't apply. as No, much. it totally still applies.
1: 100 um, percent still applies. I mean, but I mean, it, th- that the
0: move structure doesn't apply. Oh, okay. The the, the way the, the type of move is like, um, uh, f- uh, fly fast and 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 uh, take names or something like that. Like, <laughs> that's a terrible drive. But well, like um, like you could have like make sure everyone knows that you vape is a move for one of the villains who shows that's up. It's also not in especially helpful.
1: Lot. Like. It's not Let's say like we have like Rhino from Spider-Man like it could be like charge through the opposition and that is usable in masks in D&D in literally anything you're playing you just give that drive you just give that move to somebody and then when they get to do cool stuff you remember that that's the cool stuff that they tend to do
0: yeah because that, that's how they, they make trans, things feel like, different yeah and so you're you're giving yourself a, a reminder of like here are the three things that these characters do yeah. And then if you're and then in if you're in a PVTA game like masks, then you just describe them doing that. but if you were in a D and d type game, then you would just translate that into the
1: mechanic yeah and like it can be uh, just flavoring also like I I think of like uh kobolds have the move like latch on and start screaming that they're just yeah. like bite and they're like, ah and you still are doing your standard d20 roll. it doesn't matter like but it's, yeah, it's a it's, little it's, hint it's a, to you of like when you get stuck this is what you do cuz it is the cool thing that this monster does
0: yeah so like some examples of moves that i have for uh villains in this game that i run um there's a like a a an ice themed villain mm-hmm. whose one of his moves is break everything in this brittle world yeah that's great um yeah or like where's one i love yeah i have some really good villain moves i'm really proud of this campaign that i've been running there is a a sorcerer villain uh who one of her moves is like wield power, wield powerful magics to tear this world asunder. Um And I don't know. It just, there are little bits of flavor to remind you how to, even if you're not literally doing that thing, to remind you how, yeah. like with what style or flash to do it.
1: And like, like being real, that works for literally any game you're running.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. if
1: you're running, if you're running kids on bike, uh give them moves to Just all of them on one bike. Kids on, kids on one long bike with multiple seats, don't even worry yep. about it. Uh, if you're running kids on bike, one long seat, uh, then just give the villains moves as well, because it works for everything. If you're playing GURPS, you should give your villains moves. Uh, yeah.
0: But... Oh, spin. A, I had a spider villain whose moves were spin a web of lies and... Uh, Unravel the secrets of the world. Nice. She was an illusionist a little bit.
1: Very nice. Uh, So once you've got that, you've got kind of like their goal, their drive, what specifically they're doing. You choose their conditions. If it's masks, you do a couple of other little things. If it's masks, I think it's really important to write down a character's look ahead of time because that is a way to like, not just have the same character over and over and over again. uh, Because that's super boring. And so, like, having it written down gives you, like, some honesty while you play the game. And then for me, I create set pieces because I think that it's easy to end up with, like, you are fighting on a city street where there's nothing specific. And so, like, coming up with a couple of lines that are specific to what that city street is gives you a lot of help. Um, Mm. If I'm then running for actual play then I come up with a couple of, like, big twists that I can drop in. I don't necessarily end up using all of them, but it'll be things like, you know, this second villain arrives and I write down what that is, or this hero arrives and I write down what that is, or uh, this building starts to collapse, or anything like that. That it's basically, what is the thing that I can pull in if I need things to be exciting right now because it's the end of the episode and we need to get this going? Yeah. Uh, Which is something that I kind of... Would suggest that GMs do for casual games also
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: it's kind of just having like it's just like writing down GM moves ahead of time, it's just moves that are specific to this story that you're telling today.
0: What's so I think the thing that's really interesting is that that is not something that I think about as much, yeah, because for me reaching for that moment of like what can i do right now like okay we like for we we've got 10 minutes left in the game either because we're done we're looking for the end of the episode or because it's the end of the time slot or whatever we're we're about to wrap up our session and you want to reach for that that dramatic thing i yeah. think it sounds like you prep some of that stuff in advance oh yeah and th- and i don't that's the thing that like i generally find a little bit easier to do the thing that i spend more time
1: with is the characters I tend to not prep, like, super specifically. Um, It's more like looking at the set pieces and looking at the NPCs, what is their big gambit? Like, what is the trump card that they pull out? Mm. Like, so if I've got a villain that has, like, a base that is secretly a helicarrier, like, that is something that I'm writing down not as a villain move, per se, but as, like, a special time-based move. That it's like, hey, this doesn't matter to the plot, it's not something that needs to happen. It's not something that I want to just happen for no reason five minutes into an episode because it will just make the whole episode more complicated. But if we're Mm -hmm. coming towards the end of the episode and we're not at a good climactic moment, it's a way to make a good climactic moment.
0: Yeah. Whereas I tend to have... we'll get into this and maybe it's just time for me to actually talk about how I do this but I tend to have more prep on the character side because for me switching my brain between the different play- like NPCs that I'm running is the harder thing mm. uh, and the story structure is a little bit easier and so I have a lot of notes like I have that standard masks block yeah, but I will also take notes on like what are they, what is like their goal for this phase of our adventure? Like, okay. I actually, and like, we'll talk about this in a second, but I actually, li- I really have come to like Masks' like phase, like arc system. Oh yeah, that that's suggest great. suggest using. Um, and so I think about stories in terms of phases like that. And so I have like for every phase of my adventure, I'll have like what is that character doing? What is they? What are they thinking? What is their? What are their fears? Like what are they? What are their goals immediately for this session? For that? For that arc? Mm-hmm. And then before every session, I sit down and I write down the list of every NPC who might show up, and I say what are they doing? Literally in the moment before the story starts, and what are they going to be trying to do for the next? short period of time. Okay. So that whenever I run into them, I know, I know what they're doing. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're scared of. Interesting. And,
1: and I don't have to improvise that because I, I'm, I'm terrible at that. And see, for me, I feel like if I do that, then I end up in situations where we connect with an NPC and they're doing something boring or stupid. Um, that like, well, yeah,
0: I make sure they're not doing anything
1: boring or stupid. Well, well no, I mean like, I, <laughs> this, that wasn't me throwing shade on you. That was yeah. it just like, if I'm setting up what an NPC is doing, then for me, I'm not paying enough attention to what the players are doing. Like mm-hmm. if if it's important, if it's useful for an NPC to be doing a thing, the NPC is doing that thing. If
0: yeah, so okay, so I will I will say that I will definitely bail on my prep. Oh yeah, and I have definitely done that because like so like I wrote down. Um, I have a, I have a, in this, in this Sunday night game that I run, I have a, an innocent. And so a Mm -hmm. lot of the, 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 like sort of, like one of the big NPCs that I run is the older version of the, the young hero. Yeah. And I had in my prep that at this point during the, the adventure, he was now looking for other magic to be doing, like to do. Okay. They had like, they had some, some dark blood magic that he was working to, to protect the city and the kids unknowingly like unknowing what it was for had foiled his attempt to do that dark magic mm-hmm. and and so he was supposed to be looking for other ways to do it but because the heroes started looking for other ways to do it i said no he's just given up yeah. it's more interesting for him to be alone in a bar when the characters find him <laughs> having like given up than
1: doing the other thing that i thought he was going to do absolutely doing. and i i just i almost never ditch prep oh i did Be- prep all the time oh see i i prep little enough that i never have to ditch it like sometimes i won't use every gm move i write down or sometimes i won't use every twist i write down but like i don't have an act struck i don't have like mm. a plan for what happens in phase one phase two phase three because the it is just like it is entirely up to what happens in that moment. Like I improvise at that point. Yeah,
0: I. I mean, I, I don't. I. I try not to do the railroady kind of like. So this yeah. is this is my story. This is like here's what the the series of events that I'm trying to hit. But I'll do things like. I really want this character to be doing x y and z so that's what i think they're so this is where the character like the npc's headspace is so coming into where we left the story last time this is what i think they'll be doing during this session so if the characters run into them they'll find them doing that thing yeah but if if they need to run into them doing something else then at least i have that mental like this is their thought process this is why they're doing it and so i can kind of move them to where the players need them to be
1: that's totally fair If I am relatively certain that a session is going to need custom moves, I try to write them down ahead of time. I try to think of like, what kinds of things might we need a custom move for? Because custom moves at the table slow down the game, which is okay. I'm very good at writing moves. And so I can write one relatively quickly. That tends to be pretty satisfying. But if I can write it ahead of time, then that saves us time at the table. And in, especially in an actual play situation, we want to get the thing done because there's so many other things to get done. A big part of my prep these days is I'm very busy. What can I do in order to have a really good session that isn't going to just destroy me? <laughs> so, okay. So let me
0: actually just walk you through this this prep document that I have for yeah. the Sunday game that I run because I actually think it's a pretty good example of how I run a campaign. My Purdy and City uh, prep is a little bit more disjointed because i'm not always telling a coherent story I'm, I'm jumping around between different stories depending on which players are there yeah um but sort of the way that i think about i i, I sort of take a a character f- like when i'm deciding what i think the adventure will be about um i'm i'm definitely starting with the characters and like most of my prep documents the very first thing i see are i create basically one of those npc drive moves things yeah for the players. So I'm writing down their name and their hero name or their whatever their secret name um and then a couple lines of description of like what they look like just so that I remember. Um and I often like rewrite it at the before every adventure just so that it's it fresh in my mind. Interesting. Um, I'm writing down their powers so I can remember what their powers are. And then if I'm running something like masks or another PBTA game, I'll write down just the uh, triggers for their moves. Oh, that's so that I have that's a, good thinking. I have like a big list of all of the triggers of moves in front of me, so that I can see like uh, the beacon, and I just see like when you bring up your superhero name, when you scope out a person or a place, yeah. When you help a teammate, and then I have the the document open somewhere else, or I'll have the basic moves list open. But I want to remember all those things, and okay. then I, and then I'll write down because I was really going by the book for this mask's name. Yeah, I, pre- I prepped out hooks, so I had mm-hmm. two uh NPCs per character and which label they viewed the players as. Yes, I literally never used that <laughs> information uh, and so I think that I wouldn't. Okay, that's interesting.
1: Um, I, use, th- I use that but like, I write it down and don't have it in front of me at the table, just because yeah. I don't like having a lot of things in front of me at the table. I hate having to rifle through things.
0: Yeah, so the addendum, uh, my, an addendum to this is that I am s- sitting in front of a computer with three screens when I play this game. <laughs> but even when I run Protean City, I'm I still sit in front of a, a a little tablet I bring and I can flip up and down pretty quickly. Yeah. Um. So the other thing I do is uh, masks does this for you where it sort of says here is like the, for this playbook. Here are the buttons you want to press for the character yes. like for the Janice, make like emphasize that tension between their personal life and their heroing life. Um, and I pick out the couple things that I think are relevant to the character. If, if I need to tweak them to hit the specific mm-hmm. version of the playbook, Absolutely. I'll do that. Yes. And if I'm running and even if I'm running a game like urban shadows, which doesn't have that explicit thing, um, I'll try to write down, like, what are some tensions about the character that I, like, what kind of a story do I want to tell with this character? This person's playing a fae, so I need to remember to, like, give them things that, like, like they're, all of their stuff is about lies and catching people in lies and yeah. making compacts and stuff. So I need to remember to do that. Um, and so then that's when I can sit down before I run the adventure, given that I know who's coming, mm-hmm. I can kind of say okay, well, if I know I need to do this and this and this, then that sort of meshes together into this story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then I have my big page of a list of all of my NPCs, and they usually start out as just bullet point names and descriptions. Mm-hmm. And then as I run into them in the story, I'll block them out into actual stat blocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I have them all in this form of um, what is their drive? What is their sort of more immediate drive? And then what are their moves? Yeah. And then this is where like I actually get into what what I consider more of my prep for the game for the actual game that I'm running. Okay. I d- I did run the invasion arc for this Sunday night game, um, but thinking about sort of even Protean City where we don't really use arcs explicitly, but um, we're sort of moving into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, or at least I have not prepped arcs because I've sort of been prepping. individual things but i think about where where is this big story what is the what is the what is the point of tension or conflict that i'm going to be focusing on is it and like for the last couple protean city episodes i knew it was like i want the characters to be at a school Mm -hmm. and i knew i wanted to hit some uh some of the things are falling from space yeah um and or for for the the more fleshed out uh, Sunday night game that I've been running I knew I was doing an invasion and so for the first phase I knew I needed to like show some people who have slipped into the city and started to like move to take over and mm. the middle is like show them the big assault force yeah and the last part is um let them either find a solution or, or defeat a big army and a big bad guy in some way and so that's when I start and then I start to turn that into an actual story. And oftentimes I'll write like a little block at the beginning of my prep for every session. Yeah. It isn't like a, it's, it's probably the closest thing to your thinking about uh, twists and stuff like and, and pacing. Yeah. But I, what I'll write down is, is sort of my, like, if things went perfectly and the players played the game, the exact way I wanted them to, what is, what is the, or, or not, maybe not exactly that, but like, what is, what is my, what is my villain's plan? Yeah. What are they doing? If, the plan if is, the players weren't involved,
1: what would happen with what would happen? Yeah.
0: And, and then that, that breaks down. And so that becomes my, and because, so one of the things that I worry about a lot, because the thing that I'm not particularly good at when I GM is disseminating information to my players. Okay. The number of times where I've run a session and at the end, the players like successfully beat the bad guys, but didn't really know what the bad guys were there doing or like missed a key piece of information is pretty high. Okay, And so I have started focusing on that. And saying, okay, so I take that like list of like, there's a bad guy. They have mind-controlled this other villain who is a lesser yeah. villain. And they've given them some technology to go rampage around the city. And they're trying to destroy a piece of evidence. Yeah. So I know that they're trying to destroy a piece of evidence. The players could potentially stop the villain without ever knowing why they were rampaging. Yeah. So I need to find a way to remind them or, or convey to them that this piece of information is being destroyed that they don't even know about. Yeah. So from there, I start to make this like web of like, what are the key pieces of information? I need them to know that this villain is not normally this powerful a villain. I need them to know that this villain is being mind controlled by a greater villain. Mm -hmm. I need them to know that there is a piece of information that is sort of being destroyed, that is going to be destroyed if this villain is left unchecked. And that's really the goal, the real goal here. Yeah. And then who knows those pieces of information? And I write down like all of the NPCs who are sort of clued in. Okay. And then I sort of think about where they could find those pieces of information.
1: Okay. See, that, that's where you and I really differ on this. Because, like, that is... If I did it that way, I feel like I would never get the information across. Like, I, I make things so simplistic from the start. So that anything that, like, the players are figuring out, I'm more or less figuring out at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
0: I like to. I mean, I will definitely change. This is the thing that I I think is important. Is I definitely will change this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I think that's like being willing to change your prep is a or not prepping and go with whatever is a big yeah. part of the way I think that we both GM. Oh, now. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's I need to have like a rough idea of what I'm changing from.
1: Okay. So, like for me, also, I kind of think of almost every game as a one shot, because mm-hmm. in my mind, you basically. If you have to come back to it on a further session in order to make it a complete story, it didn't really work. And like with the Falcon Down event, that was like our big event that we did a whole yeah. bunch of different things. Uh, there were things about it that I was like, hmm, that didn't work because it was multiple sessions. And so what I tr- try to do is kind of make it so that every story is really self-contained. So if a villain is mind controlling another villain, there are two times that it can appear. One is at the end of an episode. With plenty of so that there's plenty of time in the next episode yeah. to fight that new villain and deal with it immediately or as like a stinger to the end of the last episode of that arc because just to just to like set things up in a new way so like basically for me, instead of saying this villain is mind controlled by this other thing blah 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 blah, I would instead have one of my big climactic moment GM moves that I can cross mm-hmm. off is reveal that this villain is being mind-controlled by this other villain. And if they don't... If that doesn't line up nicely in the prep, then that just didn't happen, I guess. But, like, more or less, if I want to introduce that one villain is being controlled by another one, I would just have that other villain arrive partway through.
2: Yeah. And maybe the players have
1: figured it out. Maybe they haven't. And it doesn't really matter, because what matters is that the tension's jumped up.
0: Yeah. My villain, who was doing mind control was a big villain for the first phase of the story, so I couldn't have them uh i i didn't want them to be drawn out into the public in the first like episode or the first uh couple sessions. I wanted them to sort of be this background player yeah but i but I defined a very strong aesthetic of like them being this, like, smoky, dark mirror thing. Yeah. And so, whenever they ran into characters that were being mind-controlled, I would describe their eyes as being glassed over with this, like, deep, uh, smoky darkness in their yeah. eyes. And I'm not sure I perfectly pulled it off, and mind-control is kind of a weird way to do
1: a villain. Um, <laughs> it's so but, so comic book classic, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can I can totally see that, how that would be, like, a way to build in those kind of more complicated plots. Um, yeah, I, I tend to think I, of my plots as super simplistic. Um,
0: yeah, I definitely reach for things that are more complicated than I think, frankly, I'm capable as a GM <laughs> to do, but that's how I've been trying to
1: grow. I, I get that. I I used to do like really big, complicated plots, and I think just as time has gone by, I've aimed more and more for, like, this is the thing that's happening right now, and complicated who cares about complicated plots and just because i don't i don't have time to write them i yeah i don't have my villain murder board at home and so like, even <laughs> if my villain has a murder board uh i'll reveal that they had one and this was all according to their plan uh later
0: the other thing that i'll do when i'm thinking about how i'm going to prep a session is and this is where like your game design can come into this a little bit yeah. is like the mask's game design is so good because so many of the playbooks create yeah. NPCs for you. Absolutely. And so if I'm sitting down to prep and I know that I've got a legacy in the game or, or I've got i have got a protege. So actually, let me just give you this example. In the world that I'm running for the Sunday group, I have a beacon and the beacon doesn't explicitly. Uh, create NPCs, but because the this beacon in particular uh, is using like one of the questions is like where did you get the gadgets and technology that you use to be a hero? Yeah, and he specifically stole them from a bunch of villains. Yeah, so we created some villains, and then I have a delinquent who has who is sort of halfway to being a legacy. So they have <laughs> their mother who is the big hero in the city. Then I have the innocent who has an adult version of their themselves, and yeah. I have a Janice who has a family. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm looking at the story, I go, okay, well, how can I bring into play this mother character who is going to be the big he- hero in the city who will show up everywhere every time they're trying to villain or fight villains. Yeah. And how can I bring in the innocent, uh, the innocence adult form, uh, adult version because mm-hmm. they need to be some antihero. So they're usually, they're going to be like either following the villain or they're going to be causing the villain to do something. Um, and then, or a, another interesting example is when we play Protean City, a lot of our specific heroes have villains that are tied to them. Yeah, absolutely. And so if I'm prepping for that session, then I'll go, okay, well, we've got Frequency who has uh, some tech powers and often fights some tech villains. Yeah. And I've got Alina who is the protege and has this whole... Um, appointed sort of uh, cult organization that often shows up around her story. Yeah. And then I go, okay, well, if they're both in this game together, how can I have the appointed be doing something technological that brings us to a story that pulls these two characters together?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That completely is something that I do as well. It's like looking at what players are in it. And I tend to think of the, sometimes I'll structure in the NPCs that are relevant to a player ahead of time. Uh, but lots of times I'll also basically keep them in my back pocket as like a GM move that like, it's like, Hey, I, there's a six minus, I'm not sure what to do. We've got a phone call coming in from adventure dad to come yell at you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like, I think just having, having all of those things and having kind of like an awareness of what makes the playbooks work is a big part of making the game work. And that's true for really any mm. game. Just thinking about, like, what makes this character functional, and what can I do to, like, specifically do things that interest them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even going so far back as to, like, the last time that I really played d d in yeah. a serious way, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, we were playing 3.5, and the psionics handbook had just come out. Yeah. And so I made a psionic character, but my GM didn't have the psionics handbook. So they didn't. And so when you're playing a psionic, at least in 3.5, a huge part of what they do is just fight other
1: psionics. Yeah, absolutely. And since
0: there were no other psionics in the game, half of my character was useless.
1: Shadowrun is kind of like the perfect example of how that is important and how a game can structurally fail to make that happen. That, like, there are three or four different roles that basically exist to do a thing that might not occur in your episode. Like, oh, this person exists only in cyberspace. Okay, there better Mm. be some cyberspace threats. This character only exists to drive cars. Okay, better make sure there's some car stuff. Like, otherwise you're sitting in there just keeping the car, just keeping the AC at a comfortable level and uh, changing the radio every couple of seconds.
0: It's where driving your, your plot towards your characters Um, In your prep is like thinking about the characters that are involved in the game and often I'll think about like so in Protean city obviously it's like which characters are in the session that time but Mm -hmm. even in my in other games I often think like well I spent a lot of time focusing on this character last game yeah so I should not spotlight them nearly as much this game and and Mm -hmm. focus on this other character who I haven't and really trying to find like because if your character is playing the character who ha- is, like exists in the, in the hacker space, yeah. or they're playing the character who drives, they're telling you they're interested in driving and hacking. So Absolutely. give them those things to play with.
1: If you're playing Apocalypse World and you have the driver or the chopper, then mm-hmm. you need to add more car races. You need yeah. to add more fights in cars. If you don't have those, they don't necessarily need to happen. It can be a part of your world or not. But when your character chooses what they're going to be playing, they're le- letting you know what interests them. And, like, even aside from, like, playbook-style games, uh, I guess I'm going to use D&D as an example, which is a playbook-style game, but, like, if someone says, I want to be a bard that, like, is all fancy and talks to nobles, and then you only do dungeon crawls, you've basically said to the player, I do not care what you want to play, and you're not being a fan of the characters. You're being a fan of your story. And I know that's harsh, but sometimes, sometimes, like, GMing is a skill, and, like, that is the kind of thing that is a GM skill that we don't talk about, because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of edgy to talk about GM work as a skill.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I
1: could I could do a whole thing about the whole, like, <laughs> everyone can be a GM and everyone is an equally good GM and everything like that, because I think everyone can be a GM. But GMing is a skill that takes time and practice and sure. learning. So is playing. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Playing is also a skill, and there are yeah. players that are better because they are more skillful at it. And
0: here is a I'm, good not, thing. I'm
1: getting off. I'm getting so far off topic, and I'm probably just making no, some people but angry. But let me
0: let me pull this back though, because here's the thing that I have had to work on. Um, there is a a thing that goes around that people say um, about GMing that I have said about GMing that I think is a fantastic piece of advice, but that I am. I was in the past bad at and I'm much better at it now. Yeah. And that is that a better way like to run a game because you don't want to railroad your characters. You want them to mm-hmm. to, to to go around where they're going. But sometimes you need to you do need them to hit specific things. And so yeah. you want to sort of structure your 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 dungeons or your your dragons or your or your city in a, in a way so that it's like a maze. But that whichever way, whichever, they, whichever door they choose to go through, the room you want them to go through or get into is behind whatever door they choose.
1: Or at least something that is interesting to the story is through yeah. anything. And so, like, and, that gets into, like, investigation games in big ways. that It's like, oh, you missed the clue. That means you lose.
0: Yeah. Which is why, I, so, like, a good example of this is... The babysitting episode, which I think was the first episode of Protean City that I ran. Sounds right. One of the things that I wanted was I wanted to have this scene where, so because I knew I had, I had a um, Nova, who was this big, powerful magic wielder. Mm -hmm. So we hadn't hit this sort of like... uh, See the repercussions of their dan- of their pa- their power. So I knew I wanted to do something with that, and so I per- I created these villains who were just regular guys with guns, and yeah. so they're they're dangerous, they're threatening, but if you throw magic at them, they will just die. Yeah, like they yeah, will light they on fire. And stand it horrifying. Up to that. Yeah, and so in my and so what I sort of did was I thought through in my perfect version of this story, we end up in a subway. uh like vault, Set protection piece. space. Um, and and then if we don't get there, where is the next best place to do this? And I was like, well, I could easily do this scene in an alleyway. Um, it just needs to be a little bit enclosed. And I sort of ran yeah. through like four or five places of where I could do the scene. And then I just planned to have that sort of scene play out wherever it, they ended up, wherever the yeah. characters ended up. And it it worked and they happened to go wherever I wanted them to <laughs> where that where I happened to want them to but I it felt a little bit clumsy but I I did it okay. Compare that to the the last session that I ran which was uh for Protean City which was the kids in a school looking for a secret lab. Yeah. So <laughs> and this was like a uh it's a very interesting experiment to maybe go back and listen to that episode because I moved where the lab was three (sighs) times during that session because (laughs) the characters weren't getting close to it yeah so I had it set up in my in my perfect world the way where the set where the secret lab was was in the pool room there was an adjoining boiler room and one of the boilers opened up and was the doorway to the secret lab that was where (laughs) in my perfect world that's the secret lab is and then when they started playing, they didn't go anywhere near the gym, which was partially because of me. I didn't put I didn't really describe the gym or the pool as being a place that they should go. So they went yeah. somewhere else. At one point the pool or the, the secret lab was in a a storage closet, but when the characters didn't pick up on the clues and moved somewhere else, I moved the lab again, and then it ended up underneath of the auditorium, which was where the characters ended up spending the most time.
1: What do you think of using a hard setting for that? Meaning So like, like let's say that it's interesting for it to be in the pool, right? Mhm. And they're not going for the pool. You say to them like, "Oh, you investigate and are and next we're in the pool." Like is like cuz cuz I'm I'm someone who is so low investigation in games. Like yeah. if investigation is happening in my games, it's because the players are largely ignoring that I just told them the next step. <laughs> yeah. uh, just because I'm not interested in in running investigation. Uh, so, like, like, I'll say things like, uh, it's a clue. It is a key to the pool room, and it says pool room. And that's where you go next. And, like, I think having that kind of hard setting feels a little weird. Like, it feels like it's taking away player agency. But if they then don't want to do that and they're like, oh no, I wouldn't go there. Then you say, cool. That's where the plot is. Yeah. Uh, I I would never do that. Oh, I would do that. I would a hundred percent do that because here's
0: what I would do is what I would say is here's a secret lab. Yeah. I don't know where the secret lab is. Here's where I think I would like it to be, but here are some other places that it might be. And then here are the three characters who know who are going to be involved in that session, who have some ideas of where the lab is and if mm-hmm. the character because i almost always i almost w- always want the next step in the investigation to be an interaction with an npc yeah i don't want I agree. them to That's be good. Like, like because it's so hard to do the like i'm looking around with a magnifying glass at this like this empty yeah. room and Jeez. suddenly like this clue pops out at you <gasps> and so it's i want it to be conversations yeah with the players and so if i know that the the robot who's pretending to be a girl and the the super the ex-villain and one other pl- and, then, and then like the, the actual super villain all have some ideas about where the, the 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 um the the lab is yeah well then if they follow the robot to the auditorium and because that's where i They'll want the uh, because yeah. that's where they go then i put the lab there because they followed that thread yeah but if they are way more interested in exploring the the ex-supervillain because they're one of the characters' ex boyfriends. Well, then yeah. I'll put the lab near them because that's where the characters are. Yeah, and I think it's more interesting for me for that reveal to come from a play from an NPC. Yeah, than for it to be a hard setting that the characters end up at.
1: I can I can see that. I think, I mean, like I, I think there. I don't. I'm personally pro set doing hard settings. I think it works a lot. If you look at the advice from Dogs in the Vineyard from Vincent McGay Baker, there is. This thing that, like, hey, your towns that you're going into are full of secrets. And the first thing you should do anytime a player goes into a town is tell as many secrets as you possibly can. Like, if there is a role between learning the information and talking to the NPC, mm-hmm. then I think you've already lost the train of the story. Because there's that chance of getting like that partial success or that failed or that failed motion and then it's like oh now we're floundering now we're waiting yeah. now we're trying to come up with something and so like or if the player isn't interested and doesn't pursue it right away then finding a way to make the npc say this is what's going on anyway then like that can yeah. be really functional like the first thing out their mouth maybe shouldn't be this location of their secret base yeah but maybe the second thing legitimately should be,
0: yeah, um so two things about that. I'm trying to let my brain catch up because I lost a thought there for a second. No worries um, so one thing is, yeah, oh yeah so because the, the worst case scenario there is that you have a villain or this is, and this is what happens to me literally almost all the time, mm-hmm. is that I have a villain who knows a piece of information, and I don't get that piece of information out of their mouth fast enough, yeah, and now we're fighting the villain. And now the heroes are winning, and it's and now too late for them never, to say the same The piece of information is gone; they'll never
1: know it. Yeah, uh, and so that's a terrible thing. M- maybe the looking th- into like genre conventions at that point, like just like having the scene where the villain comes out and like Silver Age monologues of like, yeah. "Now I shall find the lab. I shall try. I've traced it back already to the auditorium." <laughs> yeah, which and I just, like, which I have cheesy, but started leaning
0: into doing a little
1: bit, and have been more successful. I I am so, I mean, like, in the same way that I'm talking about uh, viewing every game as a one-shot, like, getting the information out as quickly as possible is, to me, more interesting because I'm more interested in the consequences of the information yeah. than the acquisition of the information. So, if I were doing, like, a police procedural game, yeah. I think there's a possibility I would start with, like, okay... You have all the information. Yeah. This is your point well, This is I, where they uh, are. Here's I wish all I could remember what this
0: was. Um, um, <laughs> I used to listen to a podcast. I don't think that it was Fear the Boot. I think it was something else. But there was an old podcast I listened to. And one of the things they talked about was they were playing a Star Wars game. And the Star Wars game started with a bunch of Sith showing back up and attacking a planet. And so what they did was day one of the like first first session of the campaign, the GM handled the players like level 20 Sith characters and said, go to town on this. Here's your mission. Go, go to town this on the space station. Do the crime. And then once they like did that thing, then they switched back to their regular characters and mm-hmm. said, well, now you're these Jedi. Go solve the crime you just committed.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's something to be said even just like looking at the media that we base things on. Like you know that I'm a huge Claremont fan and like in the X-Men during the Claremont era, you would see like what's going on, you know, like low key, what's going on. There'd be some mystery still, but you'd get Loki. Yeah. You'd look, you'd see that it's Loki. Claremont always used Loki as well. We know from the entire Claremont X-Men era, it was always Loki. Loki. Um, Actually, you know, it's a way better example. Supernatural is a way better example because it's like, Oh, I'm turning on this show. I see the monster, I know what's happening, I see what the monster does and how it does it, and then we do a show. So that like, and like saying that to your players is like really good. I want to start doing, we actually have, um, we've got some plans to do that vampire hunting comic line Mm -hmm. in Protean City. Oh yeah. And I'm going to start, I'm going to use that. That's, that is something that I've already decided I'm going to do. It's going to be Claremont is all heck and I can't wait. We have time for one more thing.
0: Okay. And I want to ask you a question because yeah. I don't have a solution for this, and I think that maybe <laughs> you might. Okay. So here is a real thing that happened to me. Okay. I had a session. Um and so basically like in this in the My Sunday game, this masks game, yeah. Um there is an evil universe that is trying to invade our universe. Mm-hmm. Our universe has three sort of wards protection-y things yeah. that do different things and they protect our universe from the villains universe. The session starts like the whole game started with one of those three things being undone because it okay. was a dark magic that the characters prevented hat from happening in there. How did we come together before the game started session? Okay. So I, the GM know that G- the players don't know any of this yet, but they know, but from the very first session, I know that one of these three barriers that protects our world is gone. So okay. my whole setup and middle phase is the villains trying to build up a little bit of an army and then attack the second ward. Yeah. By the time they attack the second ward, the players have some idea that this is going on. Um they know that this piece that this thing is information is is important and they know that what they stopped was horrible because it involved like human sacrifice but yeah. was part of what the heroes of the city were doing. Um so it all culminates in this like middle point of the story where we're on top of this skyscraper trying to protect this ancient machine which is the last thing that protects our world from the the villain world because yeah. the third piece is like just a like a fail safe stop the villains from getting through. Okay. Um so my thought process is they will they'll have a fight. I'll throw all of my strongest villains at them. They will lose the fight. Yeah. And then this machine will be destroyed, the like fail safe will clamp down, and uh, the city will be on lockdown. And then they'll have to like fight these villains one by one that are starting to stream through and find a way to get this mi- both of these first two things back up and running. Yeah, what actually happens is they all roll so darn well that they don't lose, yeah, they win. And so yeah. at the end of that session, they have successfully rebuffed the enemy from destroying this machine and I don't have a way to get us to the next part of our plot which so, was contingent on that thing being destroyed and so, I didn't I'm sorry go ahead I just didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't want to do two things I didn't want to say sort of hand-wavy and, a, and a, at the last minute a villain like pulls a grenade out and throws it at the machine yeah. and destroys it because I felt that undercut all of their very good roles and their very good story actions yeah and I didn't want to then next session have the villains attack again yeah, because that felt boring. again like I'm undercutting this big victory you had. Yeah. And so I had to really fl- I floundered a little bit, and eventually I found another good way to do the story. Um, but I don't. I'm just kind of curious how you would handle something like that where you yeah. have sort of this like hard set piece. That you want to have hap- like a, an event that you think needs to happen to move the story forward, but it's looking like the players aren't going to like basically let
1: that happen because they're all too damn good. So here's what I would do. Um, this is why prep between sessions is so useful, right? Um, is because you can then go and say, like, how do I structure this so it is specifically and interestingly different?" So I would immediately go, what were factors that helped them to win? And then have the villains go after those factors specifically. So, like, maybe they get this, and then the villains go and attack known heroes that are related in some way to your PCs. And so they, like, suddenly your protege's mentor is in the back of a truck being driven away from the city. Uh, And suddenly there's a villain trying to blow up the apartment complex that your lives in and like as those things happen you start floating the idea that this is all a distraction Mm -hmm. and then you have an interesting plot line because you have the characters making the decision of do I save the people that are important to me or do I go save the city and if they decide to save the city then like hey they won Right. And there's negative consequences if they decide to. And like, like, honestly, even at that point, I might even take a break from following that plot line. Yeah. But like have like some uh, some things that the that the comic reader gets to read, but not the players that is like showing showing the villains uh, gathering and like setting things up and like show a big screen that shows. Uh, the Janice's family and the, the delinquent's parent. And it just like has all of that information. So it's like, okay, things are going to get worse now because the idea is like, if you're doing, I I was going to say, if you're doing a comic book book, but almost if you're doing any like action thing, then things need to continue to ramp up. Yeah. And so then you just hit that thing or you say, Hey, they won. And you bring in some adult heroes To be like, hey, you did it, we're super proud of you. And then you say, and here's your next set of expectations. Hey, you did it, great job, we need you to go to space and fight the space prince. Mm -hmm. And just, it's okay, it's okay for the players to win. And like, if you've got like a plot line that you want to do, that plot line can be brought back to later. Or it can be dropped entirely, and that's okay. Okay.
0: What it really, what I ended up doing was it coincided with my attempt to bring out more villains that were willing to monologue and talk. Yeah. And so what I did was I had them sort of reach out and say... Because so I have also been playing with this like dichotomy of what is good and what is evil. And maybe like the characters all think they're in the good universe and that the evil universe is invading, but maybe it's kind of the opposite. I don't mm. really know. Okay. And so I've, I've been playing on that a lot. And so like a big tension point is all of the heroes in the city want the kids to do the dark blood magic that involves sacrificing people to protect the city and uh-huh. save everyone. And so... where I ended up with was I was like, well, the villains can't just attack the same thing again, but what would they try to do? Prevent the heroes from establishing the first barrier that lets the evil people through. And so what that ends up with is the villain saying, Hey, that dagger you use to do the ritual magic where you kill people and then protect the city. Why don't you destroy it? Because that's what the players wanted to do anyway. And so I basically took whatever the players wanted to do and put it into the mouth of the villain. Yeah. And, and that's and, great also. And it was good because what I was worried about was I had ramped up all of the tension for mm-hmm. this big climax moment and they had sort of just won, but I still had story left. Like we still had unresolved story. They didn't know, so we couldn't I didn't feel I felt like we couldn't just abandon the plot, but I needed to shift the tension to be a different in a different sort of place.
1: Was it their story or your story that still had to be finished? Um both. Okay, because, because I think it's easy as a GM to be like, we need to finish my story, mm-hmm. and if the players win in a way that's definitive, then then they did. Like, the story finished. Yeah. It just didn't include some set pieces that you wanted to include, and that's okay, because then yeah, you absolutely. can just put that on pause and go like, all right, we finish out this campaign, we finish out this story, we bring things to a satisfying end, and we don't go to the mirror universe. Yeah, well, I mean, so I or you I just th- use a six minus, like the single six minus, and yeah. you make a hard move and you do it. You yeah. know, like yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. that important to you, you just do it. Yeah,
0: they. So the reason why. So it is. It was a. It was a, a bit of both. It was. It was a lot of my story. I will. Con- I would. Uh, thinking about it, I will. I'll admit that it was a lot of the stuff that I wanted to deal with, but it was also an important part of the the Janice's story and the Innocence story. Yeah, because the adult version of the the innocent was still running around the city trying to find someone to sacrifice to stop this to do the dark magic yeah and one of the people who was being about to be sacrificed was the brother of the Janus. so maybe
1: what needs to happen then is putting it in the player's hands and saying like hey you know the innocent is still out there. like you know this older mm -hmm. hero villain is still out there what do you do yeah and then they say i track them down and then you shifting say, cool, and let's do giving, this.
0: Yeah, shifting and giving them, letting them be more proactive would have been a thing that I could have done.
1: Now, that said, I hate setting up games of masks specifically that the players are in charge of it. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> so, Yeah. That's just GMing style stuff. And I think that brings us around towards the end of our episode. I think so. I um, think that
0: we, we've we've definitely, I think we should come back on investigative games at some point um because we touched on that a little bit and how to design a game well that lets you do investigation yeah maybe that's not even a thing maybe that's a game <laughs> maybe that's a, that's an episode that i go find someone else to be in because i don't know if you are <laughs> super interested have in telling investigative games
1: yeah i'll just be but, grumpy the whole time <laughs> um
0: but uh especially when we get closer to the like urban shadows that's my like that's my jam i like investigating urban fic- fantasy so <laughs> anyway that's that um let us oh, know
1: I just I just realized I should maybe say with Pasión de las Pasiones the way I handle prep for it is you have a play set ahead of time mm-hmm. that gets everybody on the same page and you don't need to prep anything as a GM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: because everyone is just a train pointed at all the mm-hmm. other characters who are also trains, and then you put them down and they're all going full speed toward each other and you just let it all fall out.
1: Yep, and if anything ever starts... And the the game is designed so that every session begins with every player saying something wild that happened in the episode before that we skipped watching, which just, again, points everybody at each other again <laughs> to make sure that they collide as trains. Yeah. Nice.
0: So, if you are a GM who... Uh, who's writing games and if you want to talk about gaming prep or whatever, um reach out to us on Twitter. Tell us how you would have solved some of those those conundrums I got myself into. Um, you can find us both at Stop, Hack, and roll or individually I am at and the meltdowns.
1: And I'm at Dr Captain Cobalt. You can find our website which lists all of our episodes and some other things we've been working on at StopHackAndRoll.com. and roll dot com you can email
0: us if that's your your communication form of choice at james or brandon at stophack
1: If you'd like to support stop Back, and roll, you can make a huge difference for us by giving us a rating or review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. That helps the the show, five star reviews especially, bring us up in the ratings, and that's amazing.
0: We make this podcast and all of our other podcasts with the support of Patreon backers. We would like to, I would like to welcome our new backer, Zombie Moose, as well as (laughs) thank some of our old favorites (laughs) like Michael Bowman, Justin Hunter, Panic Productions, Will, Jimmy Rogers, Brett Valls, Baron Chug, and Spencer Austin. Uh, If you'd like to help support us, if you would like to help support this show financially, you can check us out at patreon.com slash stop,
1: and roll. I'm sorry. I really enjoyed your spooky voice. Um, it's if moves you would with like three O's. Oh, it's okay. Moves. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> if you'd like to support this podcast and you don't have the financial means right now or you're not able to do so, then another way that you can really help us out is to join our community and become a part of the kind of the stop, hack, and roll world.
0: You can join our Discord by checking out checking it out at tinyurl.com/shrdiscord
1: or discord.stophackandroll.com. And you can tell a friend about the show, which is another amazing way for you to help kind of spread the word that you like what we do. So, just to quickly kind of summarize up the episode as a whole, uh, when you're sitting down to prep, you want to come up with a list of names, basic description, some NPCs, stop, hack, and roll.